All right. We have the privilege to have pastor and apologist Rick McGue with us this morning. And we're so excited not only to have him teaching with us this morning, but also being with us here on Wednesday nights for Equip for the next six Wednesdays. And let's just give a warm welcome to Rick McGue. Thank you, Pastor Quentin. What a joy it is to be with you today. We were here uh, a year ago and enjoyed our time. This is a great church, and uh, my wife and I, my wife Val is here, and uh, we're so thrilled to, to spend this time with you today. And then um, after 34 years of pastoring an Assembly of God church in Moline, uh, I stepped down from pastoring in January of 2016 to uh, pursue a full-time ministry called Local Church Apologetics because of the burden that I feel for what's happening in our culture and the need to equip the body of Christ to better be able to defend their faith, and especially to help equip churches and, and uh, parents and grandparents in how to help their children as they grow up in a culture that oftentimes is attacking the Christian faith. The good news is that the evidence is overwhelming that confirms the Christian worldview and the biblical view of faith. But the bad news is we have a culture where that is ignored oftentimes and attacked in so many ways. And so today and then Wednesday, and the coming Wednesday nights, we're going to be addressing many of those issues. Out in the back, uh, we have a table full of resources. Uh, part of our ministry is to equip people. I'm glad to tell you that our, my new book, A Faith and Reason Made Simple, is now available. Josh McDowell wrote the foreword for it, and uh, God's been using this. People have been ministered to through it, and uh, the, these are available in the back. It, the, the core materials of the book is what I'm going to be covering on Wednesday nights the next six weeks, and so those are available, and then lots of great DVDs and different books that are available on apologetic subjects. Now, we do everything on a donation basis. It's a suggested donation amount. If you come back there and you say, man, there's something here I really want, but I don't have the, the funds to donate, then you just let us know, and we'll, we still want you to have that because we want to equip you to better be able to defend your faith, and so we want to be a blessing to you. So come and see us afterward. Let's, let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this day and for the opportunity that we have to be in your house. Lord, I pray that as we just turn our hearts to your word and to issues related to your creative wonders, I pray that our hearts will be overwhelmed, Holy Spirit, with the reality that we are created in the image and the likeness of God. Minister to our hearts today as we spend this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I'd like to speak to you on the subject, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. The Bible tells us that you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. In addition to this, we're told in Genesis 127 that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. The biblical proclamation that we are created in the image and the likeness of God, that he formed each one of us in our mother's womb and knew us even before we were born and that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, is central to our understanding of human value and dignity, to our understanding of having 
purpose and, and destiny and our hope for eternal life. All is based on this biblical understanding that we're created in God's image. Now contrast that to the evolutionary view that's being promoted in so many places in America and throughout the world that devalues human beings, says that we're basically no different than any other animal or even plant life. It leads to statements like this by Richard Dawkins with respect to those meanings of human that are relevant to the morality of abortion. Any fetus is less human than an adult pig. Peter Singer, the doctor at Cambridge University, takes it a step further and says, human babies are not born self-aware or capable of grasping that they exist over time. They are not persons. Therefore, the life of a newborn is of less value than the life of a pig, a dog, or a chimpanzee. In the middle of the 19th century, while people in America were shedding their blood for the biblical value uh, and proclamation that we are all created equally, there was in, the, in England, Darwin was penning the words to his famous book on origin of species by natural selection that became the, the reservoir of thought that the whole evolutionary teaching that we hear so much about today came from. Many people did not realize he had a secondary title in his book that said, or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. You see, it's out of evolutionary thought that much is promoted and, and in some cases even initiated of things like racism and abortion and euthanasia. Eugenics came out of this. It was promoted by Hitler. It's defined as the self-direction of human evolution that basically says powerful people and governments should be able to dictate who is able to breed and who is not able to breed. Look at Margaret Sanger's words. She was the founder of Planned Parenthood. And in 1923, she wrote these two words, birth control, sum up the whole, our whole philosophy. It means the release and cultivation of better elements in our society and the gradual suppression, elimination, and eventual extinction of defective stocks, those human weeds which threaten the blooming of the finest flowers of American civilization. It's no wonder there's been over 60 million abortions in America since 1973 and over almost 1.5 billion abortions worldwide since 1980. You see, it's what God says in his word that helps us to understand that every human being is created by God in his image and has immense value. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Notice here, God says he's revealed his invisible attributes, his eternal power and his divine nature to every one of us. Before we ever read a Bible, before we ever hear the name of Jesus, there's a witness to every human being of the reality of God through the things that he's made. And certainly the human body and humankind is a great example, a wondrous example of this truth. Now as we look at these things today, I want you to think about does the evidence mount up as we look at various things within the human body? Does it mount up toward more and more evidence that shows design, or does it look more and more chance-oriented that we're just here by random chance? I, I propose to you that as we look at these things, the evidence will become overwhelming that we are designed, and the impossibility 
of chance will become evident. Let's start by the formation of a baby. Did you know each one of us starts as just a single cell? It's called a zygote. And within that single cell is all the genetic information from mom and from dad of who we will be, of the building of our body and the functioning of our body for a lifetime. And now in nine months, that one cell will multiply into trillions of cells. But not just multiplying, they'll also diversify and become 200 different kinds of cells. And those cells, those trillions of cells, will find their places throughout the body and begin to function as one unit. And nine months later, a beautiful little baby will be born. And we see the wonder of it all around us continually as babies are born and we marvel at what happened in those nine months within the mother's womb. A human being has intelligence, emotion, and will, all the characteristics of a person. In addition to that, we have these things that about us that, that there's no chemical explanation, no physical explanation of it. We have imagination and creativity, morality, a conscience, a sense of right and wrong that all indicate that there's something going on way beyond just chemical reactions when we think of what it means to be human. We look at the human body and we realize it's a machine. Much like an automobile, an automobile has a fuel system and a cooling system, an exhaust system, an electrical system. It's got major parts like engines and transmissions that are all functioning together. Well, the human body has major systems that are all functioning together. Every one of them is powerful and unique in themselves, and yet the amazing thing is they all have to function together and working together for life to exist. Now, as we look at these together, we can't, it, it, the, the further you dive into it, the more amazing it gets, and we only have time to touch the surface this morning. But as we look at this, I want you to ask yourself a question. Does this look designed uh, does it confirm to me, as I look at my own body, that there's a God in heaven who knows me and loves me, who formed me and made me? Does it eliminate any thought that maybe I'm just here by random chances? I believe we will find the answers to that today. Let's start by just looking briefly at the skeletal system, 206 different bones that are put together with different types of joints. You have ball and socket joints. You have hinge joints. You have pivot joints, as well as like gliding joints and saddle joints. And, and then on the ends of our bones where they connect, there's this softer material that's strong, but soft uh, cartilage so that we don't have bone rubbing on bone. It combines, this whole system combines with the muscular system. We have 650 different skeletal bones or uh, skeletal muscles combined with the bones with ligaments and tendons so that we have amazing amounts of mobility and yet strength and stability. In addition to skeletal muscles, we have cardiac muscles in the heart and smooth muscles in the walls of our organs that function throughout our lifetime, every moment of our life, without we ever having to have a conscious thought to ask them to do what they need to do. The circulatory system, a highway system throughout the body for the blood to flow. This system, if you took all of the, the blood vessels in your body and you could tie them end to end, they would stretch 60,000 miles, enough to go around the world two and a half times. The six quarts of our blood 
in our body flow through this highway system and the circulatory system about three times per minute, 12,000 miles per day. The central part of the circulatory system is the human heart. It beats about 100,000 times a day. And in an average human being lifetime, it beats 2.5 billion times. There's four chambers. Each chamber has a valve. These valves, in a lifetime, think of it, they've got to be so flexible that they can open and close 2.5 billion times, but so strong, strong as steel, so that they are durable throughout a lifetime. The heart pumps approximately 2,000 gallons of blood a day. In an average human lifetime, that's enough blood to fill a train of tanker cars 25 miles long. The greatest minds in the world have never been able to improve upon the design of the human heart. Think about the 20 to 30 trillion red blood cells that flow through this system. They live about four months, and in that four months, they'll travel through your body about 250,000 times. And then they'll return to the red marrow in your bones where they were born, and they'll die and be recycled in these factories of red blood cell production in the red marrow, your body is producing 100 billion new red blood cells every day. Consider the nervous system. The human body has an estimated 7 trillion nerves that span 65 to 90,000 miles of sensation. Some nerves carry messages at speeds up to 250 miles an hour. It's these message systems throughout the body that causes your heart to beat 35 million times a year, your eyes to blink 10 million times a year, your pupils of your eyes to dilate, your bladder to contract and relax. It stimulates stomach secretions and controls saliva flow and all these things, so much of it you don't even think about. It just works. You've got an amazing body that you're living in. The central part of the nervous system is the human brain, weighing just three pounds, but having a hundred billion neurons, considered by many the most sophisticated machine in the entire universe. One researcher estimates that with the current technology, it would take 10,000 automated microscopes 30 years to map the connections between every neuron in the human brain and 100 million terabytes of disk space to store the data. Do you feel pretty smart? God has made you amazing. The human brain is phenomenal. It processes 100,000 bits of information per second. Aren't you glad that most of those are things you're not conscious of? or you would never get to sleep at night thinking about all of that stuff. The respiratory system has to accommodate the inflow of oxygen and the exhaling of carbon dioxide every moment of your life. Well, how is it going to do that effectively? Well, obviously it gets into the lungs, and the bronchial tubes in the lungs continue to spread out till they end in these little tiny sacs called alveoli sacs. Are you ready for this? You have 300 to 500 million of these sacs in each lung to create more surface area. If you stretch them out, it would create enough surface area about the size of a tennis court. These little sacs are surrounded by tiny blood capillaries that share a membrane wall with them. 
so that oxygen molecules and carbon dioxide molecules can transfer back and forth from in the sacs into the blood and, and vice versa. With every breath that you take in, now begin to try to wrap your brain around this of how much is happening here. Those blood, vessels, those blood cells I mentioned, 20 to 30 trillion of them, researchers say that each red blood cell carries 270 million hemoglobin proteins. Each hemoglobin protein is like a little car with four seats, four spots that oxygen molecules connect to. And so with every breath in these 300 million sacs surrounded by these blood capillaries, these red blood cells are coming through, and an enormous amount, unnumerable amount of oxygen molecules are coming in, connecting in these hemoglobin proteins and being traveled then throughout the body. And at the same time, carbon dioxide is being released back into the sacs, through the lungs, and out of the body. Every breath you take. You see, we think it just, oh, it's just breath in, breath out. Every one is a miracle. Amazing machinery. What about the digestive system? Well, do you know what really has to happen for you to digest food? When you eat a cheeseburger, your body doesn't really need cheeseburger. What it needs, or even a salad or, or a steak or something, that's not what your body needs. It needs amino acids, carbohydrates, fatty acids, minerals, and vitamins. That's what it's going to draw out of the food. So that food has to be broken down so finely to where you've got microscopic nutrients that are going to flow into the bloodstream. So you've got to have a system that takes a cheeseburger and breaks it up that well. It starts obviously in the mouth. You've got cutting teeth. You've got chewing teeth. And even your saliva's involved. Your saliva has special enzymes in it to begin to break down the food. You chew the food in your mouth. It becomes what they call a bolus. That's a, a portion of food. When it's chewed up, the tongue pushes it to the back of the throat. And then something amazing happens that you and I don't think about. But praise God, it happens. Because if food starts going down into your lungs, you've got a major problem. But God designed your body with this little flap called an epiglottis that every time you swallow throughout your lifetime, it just falls down at the right moment, covers the top of your windpipe so that the food can't go down through it, and it goes into the esophagus instead, and then it opens back up so you can breathe. In the esophagus, there's muscles all along it pushing the food down into the stomach so that if you ate upside down, the food would still get to your stomach because it's not depending on gravity. In the stomach, there are trillions of gut bacteria, little bugs that are living there, but they're helpful. We need them desperately, 300 to 500 different types that are breaking down the food and helping us digest it. Also in the stomach is hydrochloric acid. Your stomach produces about a half a gallon of it every day. This acid is so powerful that if you poured it on a wooden table, it would burn a hole through it. And it's breaking down your food. It's killing bad bacteria. It's totally necessary. And yet we might ask, if that kind of powerful stuff's inside of me, why doesn't it kill me? It's because you have a mucus lining on the interior of your stomach that is replaced automatically every two weeks of your life. To protect you from the acid. Well, it's not totally done there. It's mostly digested in the stomach, 
but it's not totally complete. The brain sends a signal to other organs and says, hey, food coming through. We're in the process of digestion. Need some help here. The pancreas gets the signal, sends pancreatic enzymes through the pancreatic duct into the small intestine as well as the liver that it's produced bile that's necessary for digestion is stored in the gallbladder. The gallbladder gets a signal, releases it into the small intestines, and the completion of this digestion process occurs in the beginning part of the small intestine. Now, also, though, once we've broken down this food now into amino acids, carbohydrates, fatty acids, minerals, and vitamins, we've got to get it into the bloodstream. And that's where the small intestines come in. That's what your small intestines are designed to do to absorb these new nutrients into your bloodstream. So just like what we saw in the lungs, we're going to need a lot of surface area here. The inner wall of your small intestine, it's 20 to 23 feet long, and with the diameter that it is, it would have a surface area on the inside of about six square feet, but God knew that's not near enough. So he designed the inner wall of your small intestine so it's not six square feet of surface area, it's 2,700 square feet of surface area. Enough, again, about the size of a tennis court if you were to stretch it out. How could it be that way? Here's what it looks like. The entire inner wall of your small intestine is covered by finger-like structures called villi. 20,000 of them per square inch. They're filled with blood capillaries and stuff for this absorption to take place. But God knew, hey, that's still not enough surface area. And so on every finger are smaller little fingers or hair-like structures called microvilli. They tell us that you have an estimated 130 billion microvilli per square inch on the inner wall of your small intestine. Does that look designed? Or does that look like, wow, what a great random chance accident that's occurred since an explosion 13.8 billion years ago? The liver... The blood now comes from the small intestine into the liver. The liver performs 500 vital functions in the body. But one of them is the dividing, the separating now of the good from the bad of this new blood that's coming through, of this new nutrients that are there. There's thousands of tiny processing plants called lobules in the liver. And the blood passes through that's come from the small intestines. And the bad stuff that's remaining, the waste stuff, goes to the large intestines or the kidneys. And all this fatty acids and uh, carbohydrates and vitamins and minerals and amino acids is now separated out, released into the bloodstream for the body. And then the liver does something else that says, you know, we don't need all of this right now, but we may need it sometime in the future. So it's got a food pantry, and it stores some of these nutrients in the liver for future use. What about the kidneys? The kidneys, your blood travels through their kidneys 400 times a day to be filtered. How does it filter it? Well, the kidneys have these filtering plants called nephrons. There's a picture of one, tube-like structures. There's a million of those in each kidney, a million of them. If you could stretch those out, they would stretch 10 miles long. Again, everything you see in the body, it's, it's so clearly designed. None of it looks like it could possibly be by random chance. The reproductive system, I'm not going to talk a lot about that other than to say the Bible says he made them male and female. And the reproductive system within male and female is quite complicated. So what's the evolutionary explanation? 
There must be a doozy of an explanation that says that we somehow went from asexual to male and female. Well, here it is. Until our ancestors... Whoops, I goofed up. That was my goof. That's it. Until our ancestor is a three-inch long water worm. This is us 550 million years ago. Mutations create distinct male and female sexes. We produce more offspring, passing on more genes. That's it. 550 million years ago, we were a three-inch water worm. And mutations create distinct male and female sexes. That's it. It had to happen the same moment, or it would never work. You see, there is no explanation from an evolutionary standpoint. Nothing that makes sense. But what the Bible says, he made them male and female. God created us distinct. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord made both of them. The human eye has more than, is composed of more than two million working parts. The basic building blocks of the human eyesight turn out to be practically perfect, one researcher has said. Photoreceptors operate at the outermost boundary allowed by the laws of physics, which means they are as good as they can be, period. Another researcher has noted that there are 10 million nerve cells interacting in the human eye, and it would take supercomputers, Cray computers, 100 years to simulate what happens every second in your eye. The human ear, I love to talk about this. This just blows my mind every time I think about it. You know, as, we, as I talk, what's really happening? Why are you hearing me? Well, my vocal cords are vibrating when I speak, and because we're in a large enough room, that's being sent into some speakers, and the speakers are vibrating. But either way, it's creating a vibration that causes air molecules to move throughout the room like billiard balls, boom, 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 pounding one against the other until they hit your eardrum. It causes your eardrum to vibrate. Now, why do we have a middle ear with these three little bones? Because if you've ever tried to talk to somebody that's underneath the water at a swimming pool, you know you don't do very good communicating back and forth. There's a different impedance in water rather than in air. And so the middle ear is designed to take that vibration of the eardrum, amplify it tremendously, and send a signal out into a new environment, a liquid environment, so that in the inner ear is where the stuff's really going to happen. In this fluid, there is hair-like structures, cilia, longer ones for low frequencies and shorter ones for high frequencies. And as the fluid vibrates, these hair-like structures wiggle back and forth up to 20,000 times a second in high frequencies. Are you ready for this? Every hair-like structure has a spring attached to it, and as it wiggles back and forth, this spring opens and closes a hatch door, and when it opens it, ions come up, 
and create electronic signals that then go through the auditory canal up to the brain, and the brain interprets all of this information and says not only that's a sound, but says, oh, that was a door that opened. Oh, there's a car that went by. Oh, that's a guy talking, and he just said, he just said. Your brain interprets vibrations. Phenomenal. Is God amazing? Consider this, the human body is the most amazing machine in the entire universe, and the evidence becomes overwhelming that we're designed. It's not by chance. Think of the human cell. This is where it really gets powerful. Your body's made up of cells. A hundred trillion cells. Now, there's different researchers say different amounts, but a hundred trillion is one of the common ones. A hundred trillion cells. Every one of them has power plants, manufacturing plants, transportation systems, a postal service, communication systems, waste management systems. One researcher has said up to 300 different systems in every cell. Lioness Pauling, who is regarded as, by many as the greatest chemist of the 20th century and one of the 20 greatest scientists of all times, he made this statement. Just one living cell in the human body is more complex than New York City. Just think about that for a second. One of your cells is more complicated, more complex than all of New York City. There's molecular machines performing vital tasks. They're made by proteins, but they're more efficient than the machinery that we use in a factory, and they're working to fulfill life functions. Now, one of the things, and some of you that were here last year, this is the one thing I'm sharing today that I shared last year. One of the things happening in cells is the production of proteins. Proteins are the building blocks for life, and your cells have to produce them. 100 trillion cells, on average, we're told, they're producing 2,000 proteins per second. So what's involved in producing a protein? Let me take you through it. It starts in the nucleus of the cell. We'll get it here in just a second. It starts in the nucleus of the cell, where all the genetic information for the building of this protein is found. A section of DNA called a gene will be unraveled. It has a start sign and a stop sign to help in this process. That section of genetic information will be copied by an RNA polymerase, which is another microscopic machine designed to do this. That copy is now called an RNA messenger molecule. It has all the genetic information for the building of this protein. Once it is formed, it is released out of the nucleus of the cell through the gatekeepers that determine what goes in and out of the nucleus called the pores. As it's released into the outer portion of the cell, this RNA messenger molecule will be combined to another machine called a ribosome. A ribosome is designed to translate all this genetic information and to produce a string of amino acids. The average human protein is about 300 amino acids long. So it's producing, based on genetic information, you've got to get the right amino acids, one out of 20 of them, in the right spot 300 times in a row. Once it's produced, it's still not a protein because it's just a string of amino acids until it's folded properly. So it's chaperoned across the cell to another organelle, a barrel-shaped organelle, 
that is designed to fold proteins. It goes in there and it's folded properly so that once it's folded, we are now going to have one new protein. But we're really not done yet because once this protein is released out of this barrel-shaped organelle, though it's now a protein, we've got to get it to the right place for the right use, and so it's chaperoned across the cell to the post office. The post office is called the Golgi apparatus or the Golgi body. In the Golgi apparatus, this new protein will be placed in a package called a vesicle. Looks more like a sack probably than a box, but it, 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 it's placed there with similar type proteins that are being produced. And on the outside of the package, it's marked what kind of proteins are in the vesicle and where they need to go. It's released from the post office to the transportation system where motor proteins called kinesin, they have two arms, two legs, and a body. They pick up the sacks of proteins. They walk on the highway systems of the cell called microtubules and deliver them to the proper place for use. That's going on in your body right now 100 trillion times, times 2,000 times per second. Right now, you have hundreds of trillions of those little guys are walking around inside of you. And somebody wants to tell us, well, oh, it's just random chance. There was an explosion 13.8 billion years ago. I don't have enough faith to believe that. Rational thinking and reasonable thinking tells us there's a God in heaven who's an awesome God. We can go beyond this and talk about DNA, the blueprint that makes all this happen. Enough information in a pinhead volume of DNA to fill a stack of books from here to the moon 500 times. Information always speaks of a source of intelligence. It's not there randomly. If we see I love you written in the sand, we look at that and we would instinctively know somebody's been here. And that's only eight letters, three words. When you look at DNA inside of your body, there's three billion base pairs in each cell packed with information determining all this function, the building of those nephrons and the building of these lobules in the liver, the, the building of 60,000 miles of blood vessels, 20 trillion blood cells. My friend, we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image and the likeness of God. Oh, we see fallen men, so we fall in people because of the fall of man. We get sick, and there's birth defects, and there's diseases. But even all of that, we have a promise that's going to end someday. You know what he calls these bodies? These amazing bodies that we've just taken a glance at and looked, and, and we look at it, and we say, they're totally overwhelming. You know what God calls it? A tent. A tent. Never designed for permanency. It's just your tent. But he says, I've got a building for you reserved in heaven. What's that going to be like? 1 John 3 says, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We are created in his image and likeness. Would you bow your heads with me? Maybe you're here today and you'd say, Pastor Rick, I, I've heard 
people talk about creation. I've heard people talk about Jesus and the Bible, but I personally have never opened up my heart to Christ and invited him into my life. I want to ask you right now, if the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, and you'd say, right now I want to just invite Jesus into my life. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? You would say, I know, I can see it's so clear. God created me and made me. And the same God that made me wrote his word to me, and he told me of his son Jesus who died on the cross for me, and I'm ready to put my faith and trust in him. If that's you, would you slip up your hand this morning? Anyone this morning? All right, I, I think probably it's mostly believers in here today, and I, here's my final challenge to you. We cannot be ashamed of our faith, but rather we need to be bold in communicating to people. My friend, you're created. You didn't just evolve. Don't believe that lie. Study, show yourself approved. The Bible says, be ready to give a defense for those that ask about the hope within you. Study these things. Know a little bit about understanding that God made us in his image and his likeness. And let's tell people and let's tell them, too, that the Bible is God's word. And Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And there's historical evidence that supports that. And there's evidences we're going to study on Wednesday night that the Bible is the word of God. Let's be people who proclaim our faith in a loving heart and a gentle spirit but with a boldness and a courage God loves you my friend maybe you came in here today and you, you said well I know I'm a believer I know Jesus is my savior but sometimes I wonder does God really know me does he know what I'm feeling does he know what I'm going through my friend he formed you in your mother's womb caused one cell to become trillions. He knit you together and fashioned you. That same chapter says his thoughts toward you outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. He's thinking about you right now. And whatever you're going through in life, he's there. He's with you through it. He cares about you. And he loves you. God bless you. believe that you are wonderfully made? Psalms 139 tells us in verse 14, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You saw it today. That's not by chance. That's not by accident. That's not by a big bang. That's by a God who loves each and every one of you. I'm going to ask the prayer teams if they would come down front. And maybe you're here today and maybe you don't feel like you're wonderfully made. You are struggling in an issue or maybe there's a physical need that's going on in your life that you want us to pray with you about. The body is an amazing thing as we saw today. And God is an awesome God who loves each and every one of us. They're going to be down here. We're going to sing it again. And if you need prayer, just come down and let us pray with you this morning.